Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling's Potterheads A History, all about Quidditch and all of her wood. I'm Ellen, and my co-host, who is currently glaring at me, is Katie. Yeah, because it's Oliver Wood. Oliver. That's what I said. Oliver Wood. Oliver. Yeah, that's what I said. It's really not, but we're just gonna keep rolling. In this episode, we are joined by our patron, Diana Chapman. Diana is a fucking weirdo that loves cats, books, and crocheting. She sounds like she would be 80, but she's not. She has the curiosity of a child and the maturity level of a teenage boy. So, in other words, she's going to fit in with us just fine. Thanks for joining us on this episode, Diana. Thank you so much for having me, ladies. I'm happy to be here. We are excited. Because Katie, Diana, and I all have all of the love for all of her wood, we decided that should be part of our focus for this episode. The mutual love for all. Oliver Wood really has been quite the bonding experience. So for this episode, we are going to talk about Quidditch through the ages, give a biography on Oliver Wood, and discuss his Quidditch career. There will also probably be quite a bit of gushing. Well, I mean, that's a given. Considering Oliver Wood is basically the reason I got interested in Harry Potter in the first place, I'm really excited to be a part of this episode. She said all of her wood, Katie. She said all of her yeah. wood. Yeah, I heard. I'm well aware. <laughs> I have ears. <laughs> so Quidditch Through the Ages is a book that was created within the Harry Potter series, first mentioned in the Golden Trio's first year when Hermione checked it out from the Hogwarts library in order to learn all about flying before their actual flying lesson. The actual book was published in a set, along with Tales of Beetle the Bard and Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, two other books mentioned in the series. Yeah, and these books are really fun because they're published as if they were written by the characters mentioned within Harry Potter. So Tales of Beetle the Bard says that it was translated from ancient runes by Hermione Granger and includes notes by Albus Dumbledore, since it had originally been his book. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them says that it was written by Newt Scamander, who we obviously know much more about since they started filming the Fantastic Beasts series. And the actual book of the series that we will be focusing on right now, Quidditch Through the Ages, says to have been written by Kettleworthy Wisp. Since we don't know much about him from the series, we are going to have Diana read his bio included in the back of the book. Kettleworthy Wisp is a renowned Quidditch expert and he says fanatic. He is the author of many Quidditch-related works, including The Wonder of Wigtown Wanderers, He Flew Like a Madman, a biography of Dangerous Dal Llewellyn, and Beating in Bludgers, a study of defensive strategies in Quidditch. Kenilworthy Wisp divides his time between his home in Nottinghamshire and wherever the Wigtown Wanderers are playing this week. His hobbies include backgammon, vegetarian cookery, and collecting vintage broomsticks. I love the bios. <laughs> Quidditch Through the Ages is fairly short, including 10 chapters and a foreword by Albus Dumbledore. We're going to start with the foreword and then give a brief summary and highlights from each chapter. 
In the foreword, Dumbledore writes that Quidditch Through the Ages is one of the most popular titles in the Hogwarts School Library. He says that with difficulty, he persuaded the librarian, Madame Pince, to part with a copy of it, so that it can be copied and made available for muggles, which will support two charities, Comic Relief and Lumos, founded to fight poverty and the institutionalism of children, respectively. He warns that he removed the usual library book spells from this volume, but can't promise that every trace has gone, and advises the reader not to mistreat the book, or Madame Pince may swoop down and demand a heavy fine. He also urges muggles not to play Quidditch at home, saying it is entirely fictional, and takes the opportunity to wish Puddlemere United the best of luck. Which is really fun, since that's the team Oliver Wood joined after he graduated Hogwarts. The first chapter is about the evolution of the flying broomstick, and we learn that there is no spell yet devised to enable wizards to fly unaided. Levitation is common, but witches and wizards wanted more. Records show that brooms were used for flying as early as 962 AD, and started out more as a means to get from point A to point B. Wizarding families started out making their own brooms, so there was a lot of variation in speed, comfort, and handling. But by the 12th century, bartering became more of a thing, and skilled broom makers could exchange them for potions and such. The broomstick became more comfortable and was also flown for pleasure. Pleasure. <laughs> That's right. See, now I just keep thinking about pleasure and bigger staff. <laughs> oh, we'll get there. <laughs> I think she's already there. <sighs> <laughs> the second chapter is called Ancient Broom Games. In Sweden, they have the annual broom race through a dragon reserve. The Germans have stick sock. The Irish have Eingangein, which you go through hoops and don't catch on fire. The Scottish have Kreoskian, where you catch boulders and rocks and a cauldron on your head. And the English have shunt bumps and swiven hodge, which both have mostly died out. Chapter 3 is The Game from Queerditch Marsh where we get excerpts from the diary of the witch, Gertie Kettle, that gives us much of the early knowledge of Quidditch. She lived on the edge of Queerditch Marsh in the 11th century and would write about the idiots who played some stupid game on their broomsticks. She wrote about them throwing around a ball, trying to get it to stick in trees, as well as throwing around rocks to knock each other off of the brooms. There was no other mention of the sport she witnessed until nearly a century later, when wizard Goodwin Neen wrote a letter to his Norwegian cousin Olaf, describing a game of Quidditch spelled with a K, by the way, Quidditch that he played with his wife Gunhilda. The description of the game had come a long way in a century, using barrels on stilts for goals instead of trees, but is still different from today, with different terms, catcher, which was likely chasers, and blutter, which is clearly the bludger, as well as a lack of a golden snitch. In chapter four, we read about the arrival of the golden snitch. The golden snitch was originally a small bird called a golden snidget, which looked a bit like a hummingbird that swallowed a golf ball. <laughs> they were hunted for sport from the early 1100s and brought prestige to wizards who were able to catch them. The snidget was often crushed by its captor, which led directly to it becoming almost extinct. It began being used in Quidditch matches in 1269 when the chief of the Wizards Council, Barbarous Bragg, brought a caged snidget to a match and offered 150 galleons, which is the equivalent of over 1 million galleons today, 
to any player who caught it during the game. When spectator Modesty Rabnot saw what was happening to the poor Snidget, she used a summoning charm to catch the bird and ran out of the crowd to release it back into the wild. She was fined ten galleons, which was quite a bit in those days. Unfortunately, that was only the beginning of Snidgets being used in Quidditch. They were now used in every game, with a new position, the Hunter, who was in charge of catching it. Once the bird was dead, the game was over, and the victorious Hunter was awarded 150 points. Around 1350, Snidget numbers had dropped so low that the new chief of the Wizards Council made them a protected species, and there was a scramble to find a substitute that would work in Quidditch. The wizard Bowman Wright is credited with the invention of the Golden Snitch. It was exactly the size and weight of the Snidget, and mimicked their movement and flight pattern perfectly. It is said that with the invention of the Golden Snitch, Quidditch had been truly born. Those poor Snidgets. Right? Oh, I know. When, I didn't, when, this, when the bird was dead, the game was over? That's awful. Right? So, like, theoretically, if you caught it, if you caught it and it didn't die, you had to, like, kill it. Oh, I don't think I would have liked Quidditch then. No. no. I think I would have been right there with modesty. Yeah, seriously. It's just very messed up. Yeah. Chapter 5 covers anti-muggle precautions. In 1398, Zacharias Mumps had the first full description of Quidditch. He made very clear the importance of anti-muggle security, including choosing remote locations and using muggle-repelling charms. Originally 50 miles to 100 miles, finally saying anywhere near any place where there is the slightest chance that a muggle might be watching, you shouldn't play there. It wasn't until 1692 that the International Statute of Wizarding Secrecy was passed did this really start to be enforced. The sixth chapter goes over the changes in Quidditch since the 14th century. Zacharias Mumps describes the 14th century Quidditch pitch as oval-shaped, 500 feet long, 180 feet wide, with a two-foot circle in the middle where the referee would take the four balls to start the match by releasing them. Those four balls were the quaffle, which was a ball made of leather that was not originally enchanted. The modern quaffle is 12 inches in diameter, seamless, and was first colored scarlet in the winter of 1711 to make it easier to find when dropped on a muddy ground. A witch, Daisy Penifold, had the idea to bewitch it so that it would fall to earth slowly. This is the quaffle that is still used today. The bludgers, which were originally called blutters, were once flying rocks until about the 16th century when some Quidditch teams began experimenting with metal bludgers. Some were made of lead and identifiable as bludgers and not cannonballs because of the dents from the beater's bats. Lead was found to be too soft and now all bludgers are made from iron and are 10 inches in diameter. The golden snitch is walnut-sized, like the golden snidget, and bewitched to avoid capture as long as possible, the record being in 1884, when the snitch made it six months before both teams gave up. The players have changed a bit, but the keeper is one of the original positions and has always been expected to prevent the other team from scoring. In Mumps Day, the keepers could also score goals, so they were like chasers with extra duties. By 1620, the job was simplified and they were advised to remain at their end of the pitch and only guard the goal baskets. The beater's job has barely changed and were likely to have existed ever since the blooders, not bludgers, were introduced, in order to protect the other team members from them. 
Physical strength is very important as they must be able to swing an enchanted reinforced bat hard enough to knock the bludgers away. They also must have good balance as they sometimes may have to use both hands to hit the bludgers. The chasers, originally named catchers, are the oldest position in Quidditch since the game was once all goal scoring. They throw the quaffle around and get 10 points every time they get it through a goal hoop. The only real change came in 1884 when the rule was put in place that only a chaser carrying the quaffle could enter the scoring area. This was to prevent the other two chasers from ramming the keeper while the third scored. People were a bit offended by this rule when it first came out. The seeker is the lightest and fastest of the flyers and needs a sharp eye and excellent balance. They are the most likely to be fouled and injured because they hold immense importance in the overall outcome. For the rules, I'm just going to read these straight from the book because that's going to be easiest here. The following rules were set down by the Department of Magical Games and Sports upon its formation in 1750. Rule number one. Though there is no limit imposed on the height to which a player may rise during the game, he or she must not stray over the boundary lines of the pitch. Should a player fly over the boundary, his or her team must surrender the quaffle to the opposing team. Rule number two. The captain of a team may call for a timeout by signaling to the referee. This is the only time players' feet are allowed to touch the ground during a match. Timeout may be extended to a two-hour period if a game has lasted more than 12 hours. Failure to return to the pitch after two hours leads to the team's disqualification. Rule number three. The referee may award penalties against a team. The chaser taking the penalty will fly from the central circle towards the scoring area. All players other than the opposing keeper must keep well back until the penalty is taken. Rule number four. The quaffle may be taken from another player's grasp, but under no circumstances must one player seize hold of any part of another player's anatomy. Rule number five. In the case of injury, no substitution of players will take place. The team will play on without the injured player. Rule number six. Wands may be taken onto the pitch, but must under no circumstances whatsoever be used against opposing team members. Any opposing team member's broom, the referee, any of the balls, or any member of the crowd. And the last rule, number seven, a game of Quidditch ends only when the golden snitch has been caught, or by mutual consent of the two team captains. Now, of course, rules are meant to be broken, so then you get fouls. And there are over 700 Quidditch fouls listed in the Department of Magical Games and Sports records, and all of them occurred during the final of the first ever World Cup in 1473. These are some of the most common fouls. Blagging, which is to seize an opponent's broom tail to slow him down. Blatching, flying with the intent to collide. Blurting, which is locking broom handles with a view to steering an opponent off course. Bumping, which is hitting a blunder towards the crowd, necessitating a halt of the game. Cobbing, which is excessive use of elbows. Flacking, which is sticking any portion of anatomy through the goal hoop to punch the quaffle out. <laughs> Haversacking, which is when a, your hand is still on the quaffle as it goes through the hoop, because it has to be thrown. Quaffle pocking, 
which is tampering with a quaffle, like puncturing holes in it so that it falls more quickly or zigzags. Snitchnip, which is any player other than the seeker touching or catching the snitch. And stooging, which is when more than one chaser enters the scoring area. Last part of this chapter talked about the referees, which used to have to be the bravest of witches and wizards. In 1357, a Norfolk referee, Cyprian Udall, died during a friendly match between local wizards. There are no other proven referee slayings since then, but broom tampering happens a lot, the most dangerous being the transformation of the referee's broom into a portkey. Being a referee involves being an expert flyer and having the ability to watch 14 players at one time, making neck strain a common injury. Sounds like it. I'm going to start rooting for the refs, like I do with right? all sports. <laughs> In Chapter 7, we learn about the Quidditch teams of Britain and Ireland. We have the Appleby Arrows, the Ballycastle Bats of Northern Ireland. Is that care? I think it's carefully... Carefully? 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 Uh, well, they're Welsh, so it could be like chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like every other word in the alphabet than what's on this page right now. Yeah, if yeah. you are from C-A-E-R-P-H-I-L-L-Y or know how to pronounce that and we are bucking it up, please correct us. Yeah, I like carefully. I think that's kind of funny. The carefully catapults from Wales. My husband likes to say that the Irish stole all the vowels from the Welsh. And that's why why the Irish have so many vowels and the Welsh have none. That attracts. Yeah, right. Anyway, (laughs) the Chudley Cannons club motto was changed in 1972 from we shall conquer to let's just keep our fingers crossed and hope for the best. Which, I gotta say, I've, I'm, I'm down with that becoming the Cleveland motto, if I'm being honest. I've always felt that the Chudley Cannons are very much like the Browns. I mean, they, aren't they, they really both are. orange? And yeah. Is that... Yeah. Yeah. We got orange. Yeah. yeah. Or, hey, you know what? It's the motto of 2020. Let's just all keep our fingers keep crossed. Keep our fingers for the best. And toes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe legs, too. Yeah. <laughs> You're just gonna Not keep when on going. all of her wood is around. How about? <laughs> I was gonna be like nice and go, hey, what about your eyes? You cross your eyes, but no, y'all made it dirty, and therefore I love it more. So I'm shutting up. <laughs> okay, back to the list. There's the Fallmouth Falcons, the Hollyhead Harpies, an old Welsh club that has only ever hired witches. That's who Jenny went to play with, right? Yeah, yeah Jenny played for. Is the, it Hollyhead the Harpies. or Hollyhead? I thought it was Holyhead. Did it's you say Holyhead? Isn't it Holyhead? I've heard it both ways. When I was there, I always heard him say Hollyhead. Uh, uh, I don't know. But I got into arguments with my friend that I was there with, and she was like, "No, they're saying Holyhead," and I'm like, "No, they're saying Hollyhead." Listen to him, and we'd have them like repeat it, and she goes, "That's just because they're saying it with an accent." <laughs> <laughs> so it's definitely spelled Holyhead. So that's another one. If you know. Please correct us if we're wrong. (laughs) Yay. But again, they are Welsh. Facts. So it could be pronounced Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it at least starts with an H sound. Henry. There we go. The Henry Harpies. Yep. The all-girls team. (laughs) Henry could be a girl's name. Henrietta. 
True. Hello. Then it's the Henrietta Harpies then. <laughs> Let's just keep rolling. Keep on rolling. Uh, we also have the Kenmore Kestrels, the Montrose Magpies, the Pride of Portree, or the Prides, and there's Puddlemere United, who is the oldest team in the league. The Tuts Hill Tornadoes. Tuts Hill. Sounds dirty. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it does. Just say it like, just say that Tuts Hill. It's Tuts Hill, Tuts not Tits Hole. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The Tuts Hill Tornadoes. The Wigtown Wanderers, founded by the seven Parkin siblings in 1422, and a Parkin descendant, can still be found on the team. Fun fact. Huh. Yeah. And the Wimborne Wasps. And that was the team that Ludo Bagman played for. Mm-hmm. All right. Chapter 8 is called The Spread of Quidditch Worldwide. In Europe, it began in Great Britain, obviously, in roughly the 14th century. It made its way to Norway and France in the 15th century. In 1473, the first World Cup was held, but it wasn't until the 17th century that the first non-European country participated in the World Cup. Quidditch reached New Zealand in the 17th century, probably brought there by herbologists. And roughly 100 years later, it made its way to Australia. It's unclear when Quidditch made its way to Africa, but it was probably brought by European witches and wizards seeking information on alchemy and astronomy, which a lot of African countries are very well known for. Quidditch in North America was... It was brought again in the 17th century, but never really made a huge dent in North America because of a lot of anti-wizard, anti-magic sentiments. Canada over the centuries has had a lot of success, though. But if you look at the United States, they prefer quad pot because, of course, Americans would rather watch a game where a ball's gonna explode. Yes, yes, they would. That sounds very American. Yeah. Quad pod is basically dodgeball, but instead of an opponent hitting you with a ball, you have an exploding ball. So, yeah. Definitely want to dodge that. So, <laughs> yeah. There's a there's definitely an element of fear going on in there. I mean, it doesn't like kill you, kill you. It's more like a flesh wound. It's only a flesh <laughs> wound. I feel like it's like probably more like an exploding balloon or something like I don't know. It's just blow shit up. America. <laughs> However, in South America, both Quidditch and Quad Pot have quite a lot of popularity, with two South American teams making the quarterfinals of Quidditch in the last century. And also in Asia, most Asian countries don't have high popularity of Quidditch aside from Japan, but this is mostly just because most Asian countries prefer flying carpets over broomsticks. Could you imagine trying to play Quidditch on a flying carpet? I'd fall asleep because I'd lay down. I was just thinking (laughs) that. Chapter 9 is the development of the racing broom. Until the early 19th century, broom quality had no standard. In 1820, Elliot Smethwick invented the cushioning charm, which provided comfort, but brooms of the day did not have the speed and control we know now. The brooms were hand-produced by individuals, so they tended to be more fashionable than functional. For example, the Oak Shaft 79 was too cumbersome to be 
of any real use on the Quidditch pitch, but was excellent for the first Atlantic broom crossing in 1935 by Jocunda Sykes. The moon trimmer, invented by Gladys Boothby in 1901, was able to reach greater heights with better control, but Boothby was unable to produce needed quantities for entire Quidditch teams. In 1926, the Allerton brothers started up the Clean Sweep Company and cornered the market until 1929, when two former Falmouth Falcons players, Randolph Keitch and Basil Horton, established the Comet Trading Company. This partnership led to the creation of the Horton-Keitch Breaking Charm, which gave players much better control. Other companies rose and fell over the years, but it wasn't until 1967, with the creation of the Nimbus Racing Broom Company, that we saw the brooms with the speed, turning capabilities, and control of today. <laughs> Oak shaft. Sorry. Still funny. <laughs> and chapter 10 is about Quidditch today, which continues to thrill and obsess fans everywhere. Going to a Quidditch match guarantees a sophisticated contest between skilled flyers, Unless the snitch is caught quickly. To guarantee this, the Quidditch players have invented and perfected difficult moves over the years. Some are the bludger backbeat, where the beater strikes the bludger with a backhanded club swing. The doppelbeater defense, where both beaters hit a bludger at the same time for extra power. The double eight loop, in which the keeper flies around all three goal hoops at high speed to block the quaffle. The hawkshead attacking formation, where the chasers form an arrowhead pattern and fly toward the goalpost. The Parkins pincer, named for the original members of the Wigtown Wanderers. Two chasers close in on an opposing chaser, while the third flies headlong toward them. The Pumpton pass, where the seeker swerves seemingly carelessly and scoops up the snitch with their sleeve. The Porskoff ploy where the chaser with the quaffle flies upward, but then drops the quaffle down to another waiting chaser. The reverse pass. A chaser throws the quaffle over their shoulder to a team member. The sloth grip roll, which is done by hanging upside down off the broom, gripping tightly with hands and feet to avoid a bludger. The starfish and stick. The keeper holds the broom horizontally with one hand and one foot curled around the handle, and the other's outstretched. The starfish without stick should never be attempted. <laughs> the Transylvanian tackle, a fake punch aimed at the nose that isn't illegal as long as contact isn't made. The Wollongong shimmy, perfected by the Australian Wollongong warriors. It's a high-speed zigzagging movement intended to throw off opposing chasers. And the Ronsky feint. Feint? Feint. 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 Damn it. I keep thinking of the singer Feist. No, you're fainting. Yeah. It's, this one's a real word. A. I no, know, but that's, no, that's like yeah. falling down swooning. Fainting is like the oh, yeah. faint, whereas fainting is like faking, faking something. <laughs> no, fainting is this, and fainting is that. <laughs> like, I would never have to faint it with all of her wood. I have fainted a faint before. I, I'm just going to read this. The Ronsky faint. The seeker pretends to see the snitch and dives toward the ground, pulling out at the last second, intending to make the opposing seeker copy him and crash. And we did actually get to see Victor Crumb yep. perform oh. a oh, Ronsky yes. faint. Yeah, 
And Harry was itching to try it. Mm-hmm. Harry kind of does it in the first one, almost. In the, mo- in the yeah, movie. Yeah, sorry, in the yeah. movie. It's not how it happened in the book. It's not how it happened in the book. <laughs> but Quidditch Through the Ages is a very fun and easy read. We all made it through without any major issues or fines from Madame Pince. But now we're going to get into the real reason why we wanted to do this episode and have Diana start us off with Olive Herwood's bio. So we were actually given very little information on Wood's background. Obviously, he is a wizard since he attended Hogwarts and was placed in Gryffindor House, but we don't know what his blood status is or anything about his wand. I mean, we want to know about his wand. I really, really do. Who doesn't want to know about Oliver Wood's wand? I'm sure there are people, but it's not Not, none of of these. No one in this Skype call. Nope. (laughs) (sighs) So in the books, he was described to be well-built and burly with a commanding presence, especially to those in his team. In the movies, we see he is taller and slighter. So dreamy. (sighs) Still commanding. Mm Mm-hmm. He was known to get a maniacal look in his eyes when he was enthusing about Quidditch. And I feel like I have a bit of a maniacal look in my eye enthusing about Oliver Wood. Oliver Wood. That's what I said. God damn it, now there's two of them. You are outnumbered. (laughs) His first mention was in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone when Professor McGonagall pulled him out of class to introduce him to Harry and tell him she found them a seeker. Still funny because I need to get Wood and Harry thinks it's he's about to get beaten. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that really funny? Because that's kind of sad. I, yeah. I just think it's in a sense that Harry just doesn't know what to expect. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. But his his go-to was, abuse. is she getting a club to beat me? <laughs> is yeah. Wood a stick that she's going to use? To beat him with. Well, yeah. The Dursleys probably were like, oh, they'll beat you if you act out at the state school. Yeah, because that's true, because the private school that Dudley went to is the same mm-hmm. that yeah, Vernon went to, and they were all about the caning and everything there. Yeah. And then Aunt Marge in Prisoner of Azkaban asks if they use a cane at St. Brutus's. So it's probably something that he's been threatened with. Yeah. Told. Yeah. Which is also still sad. It doesn't make it less yeah. sad. But... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we know that he started Hogwarts while Charlie Weasley was still there and playing Quidditch and became captain sometime in his fourth or fifth year, putting together a very good team, except for a seeker, until Harry came along. Aww, how sweet. Yeah, even with Harry and extenuating circumstances, they still never actually won the Quidditch Cup, despite having the best team, until Oliver's seventh year, of course. At least he got to go out on a good note. Yep. Then after he graduated, he started playing on the reserve team for Puddlemere United, which we learn when Harry, Ron, and Hermione run into him at the Quidditch World Cup. And fun fact, Puddlemere United is a team in the British and Irish League. We already learned that it was the oldest team in the league going through Quidditch through the ages, but it was founded in 1163. It's pretty long ago. And Oliver Wood was played by Sean Biggerstaff. <laughs> Which, as you can hear, still makes Ellen laugh like a 12-year-old. It's just the perfect name for Oliver Wood. Uh, huh? But it is. It is. Like, I, like how do you... <laughs> Oliver Wood, Biggerstaff. It's very fitting. So, when I first came across the Sorcerer's Stone, the movie, I definitely was like, 
this all of her wood is very mm-hmm. dreamy. And then when I actually looked up the actor's name, I couldn't stop laughing because bigger staff in wood, it's funny. It is funny. I'm not saying it's not funny. It's just something I've been laughing about for 15 years or something like that. And are you are you going to tell me you're over it? I'm never over it. Uh-huh. It's just funnier that you didn't know that his name was Bigger Staff until, like, a month ago. That's not how it happened in the books. I mean, yeah, there weren't actors playing the characters in the books. You're correct. I mean, I, I watched the movies, and I knew the main characters actors names and he's a, he's and a pretty I, like, minor I, character yeah in i the acknowledge movies. that actually when i first saw him on screen i did not like how he looked as oliver wood because of that burly he did seem a little scrawny and i was just like oliver he's yeah. that's not that's not what oliver wood looks like and then he talked <laughs> and then when he gave that little smile and i was just like oh yeah okay i'm okay yeah. it's fine it's not it's not it's not how it was in the book, but oh. I ain't mad about it anymore. <laughs> um, I got over it pretty fast. Uh, I'd like to get over him. Oh, you kids. Under, over, head over. Under, over. Yeah. Wrapped around. I would like to try the starfish and stick with all of her wood. <laughs> You'll be the starfish. He'll be the stick. Yes. <laughs> And, I mean, it does say do not attempt the starfish without sticks. Well, that is true. For safety's sake. I mean, (laughs) I don't know. I feel weird about it now. Because I was exactly like this when I was 20. But it's weird because in my head, like, I'm older, but Oliver Wood is still the same age when I watch Sorcerer's Stone or Chamber of Secrets or whatever. And so it just kind of makes it a little bit weird, and I never thought about it before. Well, now I feel like a deflated balloon. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have. I agree with everything that you guys are saying. Like, I do. I just feel weird saying it sometimes. See, these thoughts, though, I'm not having them as an adult. These are my these are my same thoughts from when I was 11 watching these movies as an 11-year-old, you wanted to do the starfish and stick? No, okay, no, but I mean, like, my cr- my crush. Okay, they've gotten more adult, but the whole... The sentiment is the same. Yes, just a little dirtier now. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I mean, I've read some fan fiction involving Oliver. Mr. Oliver Wood. I feel like you've written some, too. I have not. Actually. Really? No, I am, I leave that to people who can actually write, and that is not me. So, I think about stuff in my head, but I never actually put it to paper, let's just say that. Fair enough. Usually that involves, like, even now, if I read something, it's, I don't generally like Hogwarts era stuff. I read stuff about after they've, after they've been out of Hogwarts a few years, because I feel weird reading Hogwarts era stuff now. Well, the way I see it, I know we call him Olive Herwood, or at least Diana and I do. The way that I see it, we are, in fact, talking about the actor being the one that we find so sexy. Yeah. And he has, in fact, aged along with us. And he has aged so, very well. Don't he yes, has he aged has. very well. Yes. Do not mistake that. <laughs> so I do have a fun fact about Sean Bigger's staff and 
because I spend a lot of time on IMDb and all this kind of stuff, looking him up previously, I found out that Sean Biggerstaff was actually cast by Alan Rickman in Alan Rickman's movie, The Winter Game, I believe it was called. No, The Winter Guest. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. by working with Alan Rickman on that, he was recommended and ultimately cast in Harry Potter because of his previous work with Rickman. Well, that's fun. And there's just another reason for me to love Alan Rickman, who has been previously described as my old man crush. I mean, he's delightful. Yes. The the day that we found out he died, my friend Abigail texted me, specifically texting me, your old man crush died. Like, it wasn't, it was just a thing. Yeah. (laughs) Sadness. But so, still very. Now I have yet another reason to tack on to my love for Alan Rickman because he brought us another person to crush over. Yeah, (laughs) more appropriately age ranged. Eh, Yeah, (laughs) probably. Good times. I know, Katie. You talk a lot about how you wish that his character could have been more fanatical. I do. I just kind of wish he would have been a little bit more intense. Into yeah, more. Like, he was Quidditch-focused and all that, and it was great, but they didn't give him the opportunity to be as fanatical as... Right. You know, when Fred and George say that he's in the shower tr- attempting to drown himself. Yeah. Like, you kind of almost... you Like, you knew they were kidding, but you were kind of almost Are like... They, yeah, I could kind of see him trying to do that over a loss. And I don't know that there ever was a moment where we saw the maniacal gleam in his eye. Like, there were definite moments where no. they were, like, leading up to that, but it's like the scene always ended before it would really get there. Yeah. Yeah. We'd get, like, a cheeky grin here and there, but never a maniacal gleam. Yeah. I mean, but I did love that cheeky grin. Yeah. Oh, it was an excellent like cheeky grin. Their cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> so, Diana oh is, in fact, the person who picked this topic for this episode, which mm-hmm. is a perk that you get at a certain level of patron. She is one of our Order of Merlin first class patrons, which... She's fancy. She's very fancy, but it basically means she does what she wants, and we try to support that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is this is her episode, and she was very excited to get to talk about Oliver Wood. Yeah. Oliver Wood does tend to excite her quite a bit. <laughs> hmm. Mm. I'm going to have to wash that chair. (laughs) I'm mostly sitting on my feet, so. I'm definitely going to have to wash that chair. (laughs) Oh, mean. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's okay. (laughs) So, yeah, that was all about Quidditch and all of her wood and Sean Biggerstaff. Hmm. And going along with the theme, our Potter Pondering for this bonus episode is... If there is any Quidditch position that you could play, what would it be and why? So we'll put that up on our Facebook page. You can check it out and share and let us know what you think. I would be a spectator, personally. I don't play sports. Katie doesn't sports. What about the referee? You could be a referee. Can you referee? Did you hear the description of what the hell they have to do? <laughs> that There's was no like way in fuck I'm doing that. That was like 700 years ago. Yeah, I'm still not doing it. No. I have very good reflexes, but not a good enough attention span to be the keeper. So I think that I could be a seeker because I'd be like, ooh, something shiny, and it'd be the snitch, and I'd go catch it. I'll sell concessions. I'm pretty fast. How about that? I have decent balance. I feel like 
I'm built streamlined like a seeker and I'd be able to go fast, but I also the same with the reflexes, I think I'd be a decent keeper. I think I could I could be a switch hitter too. Oh. Keeper or a seeker. Wow. I'm fancy. I'm just gonna sell concessions, y'all. I'm just gonna be slinging butter beers down <laughs> down in the lobby while y'all are playing. Mm. Mm. Now I want butter beer. <laughs> All right. So our Quidditch related trivia question for this episode is what was the name of the chief of the Wizards Council who declared the Snidget a protected species? If you know the answer, head to our Facebook page at JKR Podcast and find the post. Comment under the post with the answer and the code word hashtag sticks and staffs. The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word will get a bitch is a witch, motherfucker's a wizard, a just keep rolling, a that's not how it happened in the book, that's not how it happened in the movie, or a pride sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you're an Apple person, you can do it through the Apple Podcast or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, then as a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. We are going to continue creating more Potterheads of History episodes, and you can become a patron to gain access to those future episodes, along with other perks. If you would like to support us as a patron for those perks, like Diana over here, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. Any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And you can check out our website at justkeeprolling.com to see what our patrons have helped us create so far and get yourself some swag and other Harry Potter-related merch. We recently launched a new equality line and we'll be donating the proceeds to the Trevor Project and the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. We also started a fundraiser for each if you would just like to donate. You can find them on our Facebook page or head to our website, again, that's justkeeprolling.com, and get yourself some cool merch and donate through us. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. So we just wanted to say thank you again to Diana for joining us and suggesting the topic. Yay, Diana! Thank you again for having me. And then join us for the next episode, which is on my birthday, coming out this Friday, my birthday, when we talk about Chapter 17, The Heir of Slytherin, and the corresponding film scenes. And did I mention it was my birthday? Is it your birthday? It's going to be my birthday. Happy birthday! Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep rolling. rolling.